I'm Anthony Kay, and this is Sports Fluent. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at sports underscore fluent, or look for us on YouTube and TikTok, having some fun at Sports Fluent, or always feel free to visit our website at sportsfluent.com. On this week's episode, we interview your friend and mine from the University of Kentucky NCAA champion, Tony Delk. We then dive into our NFL preview this week with the NFC East. Then to our WNBA series. This week, the Las Vegas Aces are all in. And lastly, in the fix, we have the entire league. It's the CFL and what they could have done, should have done, and what they need to do next. My next guest is someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. You're going to find out why I feel he owes me an apology. But more importantly, he's an NCAA champion at the University of Kentucky, where he won most outstanding player that year. He was in the NBA for 10 years. He runs a basketball academy. Oh, and while he's doing all that, he found time to create his own wine label. My guest this week is Tony Delk. Here's my interview with him. You can listen to it here, and if you want the video, check us out on YouTube at SportsFluent. Hey everybody, this is Anthony Kay with Sports Fluent, and I have a very special guest today, Tony Delk. You know him from the University of Kentucky, from his career in the NBA. I know him a little bit better than he knows, though, so we're going to start with something. Tony, I, don't, I know I'm surprising you with this. I don't know if you know this or not, but you kind of owe me an apology. Uh-oh, let me hear this. And I'm going to tell you why. In 1994, I came to the University of Kentucky as a high school student for a basketball camp. Okay. <laughs> you and Roderick Rhodes were my coaches. And you gave me a nickname. You called me out in front of everybody, and you gave me a nickname, and you called me Hollywood. And you, <laughs> sa- <laughs> and you said everybody at the camp was concerned with, you know, stretching, warming up. And right. Hollywood over here me, was more concerned with his hair, with his shorts, you know, about looking good. Uh, I don't know, maybe you wanted oh, to man. impress Coach Patino. And I, I kind of, right. I, I laughed it off and it was fun. And for a week, everybody called me Hollywood. Right. And that's okay, you would think. However, I went to university in West Virginia. And my roommate walked me around campus and we were talking. And as we were introducing ourselves to some people, somebody mm-hmm. pointed at me. And said, I know you. And I said, I don't think so. I'm, I'm from Toronto. I've never right. spent any time in West Virginia. How would you know me? He said, University of Kentucky basketball camp. You're Hollywood. <laughs> and from that point on, everyone <laughs> called me Hollywood, which is a terrible, <laughs> terrible nickname, by the way. No, it's not, man. <laughs> no, it's not, man. Oh, so, but he told the story about I was more concerned with looking good than playing good. Which did not help my rep. Well, but. you know, like I say, it's, it's more about the, like I said, it's more about the flashing lights. And, right, right. You know, you were more about, you know, it's funny you said that too, because I, I do remember the name Hollywood. I was like, man, this kid is so concerned with his looks. And most kids, you know, they just want to come to a camp and play and have fun. But you were like, no, dude, I got to look good. Like I said, if you, if you look good, you play good. 
That's what that's, I heard. I, I, t- I took from Deion Sanders, right? <laughs> if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. That's right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, man. That's what's but, up. So I'll give you this, though, too. I'll tell you this. So as much as I say you owe me an apology, I also owe you a thank you because I couldn't shoot a lick before coming <laughs> to that camp. And you guys made a shoot about a thousand jumpers kind of every hour. And I went back to my senior year in high school and I was probably the best from maybe the worst shooter on my team to the best shooter on my team. Right. So I do got to thank you for that. So enough about me. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get to you. So obviously at the University of Kentucky, you had a ton of success. What was that like? Like we were, I was around the team even for a week and I could tell the right. kind of camaraderie and the, you guys really were, seemed like you were not just a team on the court, but off the court. What was that experience like? And I think it's, it's an experience that I'm trying to incorporate with my kids uh, and my Tony Duck Basketball Academy here in Atlanta is just the cohesiveness, the chemistry. Uh, you have to spend, spend time with one another. And I think what made that team special because, you know, it's funny you speak about Roger Rose now, who is my fraternity brother, Omega Psi Phi, is, you know, I came in with Walter McCarty, Antoine, not Antoine Walker, but Roger Rhodes, Jared Prickett and Rodney Dent. So we had the number one recruiting class in 1992. Um, and all of us brought different things to the table. You know, I was a great scorer. Rod was a, you know, he could play. He was a two-way player. Jared was a big-time rebounder. Walter was a stretch forward at the time that he ended up being a really good stretch forward in the NBA. Uh, and Rodney Dent was our five, our centerpiece. You know, he protected the rim, rebound. He had a nice little mid-range shot. So everyone bought something totally different, but it almost didn't happen for me because after a few games, after my freshman season, um, you know, I, I was getting ready to leave Kentucky, you know, about midway oh. through that season, uh, went to Coach Patino. I wasn't playing a lot. You know, our offense went through Mashburn, Jamal Mashburn, and coming out of high school with all the accolades, being the leading scorer um, in the state of Tennessee, McDonald's All-American, you know, I expected to play right away. So after a few games, I was like, man, this thing, it's not working out for me. And then Jared was playing. Walter was a prop 48. Um, Rodney Dent was playing. Roger was in the starting lineup. So I was the player that was left out. And when you left out, you know, it's, you know, you're watching your peers play. And it's like, what have I done wrong to not, you know, be on the court getting some playing time? So, you know, we went and had a discussion with him. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not happy here. You know, I want to get my transcript. I want to leave and go somewhere else. So, you know, we talked, and when that season ended, you know, we ended up going to the Final Four, losing to Michigan in the Final Four. And he said, hey, I'm not going to recruit anybody else at your position. You know, and, of course, players, we always hear that. We know you get to college, and that's their job to recruit players, you know, to bring in the next group of guys to, you know, help lead the program. But also that's how they keep their job by winning. You don't keep your job by developing players and trying to get guys, you know, that are good people. You want guys that are competitive, guys that's going to help get you to, you know, a national championship game as possible, but help you keep winning. And when that season ended, I had to, you know, it, it was a tough decision because I had schools that were coming after me, but I knew I would have to set out a year. But also I had to mature and grow up. You know, it was a, a different system. And what made it hard for me was that for the first time in my playing career, the ball didn't go through me. It went through another person. So some of that was, it wasn't selfishness, but what it taught me was I had to learn how to play without the ball. So playing without the ball and learning how to play better defense. Because when you're an elite scorer, especially in high school, you're not really playing a lot of defense. So our pressing style, uh, knowing how to guard and defend, knowing the different schemes and different coverages, I had to learn all that as a freshman. So 
it really helped my game and made me a two-way player because I started appreciating and enjoying playing defense. And most guys don't. You know, if I came right in and went straight to scoring and, and let's say I after a year I leave and then I make it to the NBA, well, the NBA has the best players in the world. So it's not always about your offense. Can you stop a person at your position? And that was the one thing Coach Patino taught me. And I think having Billy Donovan there when I wasn't playing, you know, Billy Donovan, I was going into the gym late nights, working on my game, watching film, breaking down film. And he was giving me the blueprint on what it's going to take to be successful at the collegiate level. But also, hey, if you ever want to make it to the next level, Tony, you got to play defense. You got to start listening to what coach is telling you. Coach has been there. He, you know, he doesn't hate you because when, when the coach is constantly screaming at you every day, and that's what it was. He was constantly like every day. He was, in, he was on my ass every day. I'm like, man, why did dude recruit me? This dude just don't like me. You know what I'm saying? Like you, it's like somebody that you have to see every day. It's like going, going in and you have a boss, and that boss is on you every day from time you get there till you leave. I'm like, man, I'm looking for a new job. But I was up for the challenge, and that's the thing that he didn't know. And by the time I became a senior, you know, he was just coaching me now. He, I was playing, and it wasn't so much him teaching me because everything that he, was, that he had taught me, I had, had absorbed, and I was applying. And back to what you're saying about the chemistry that we had is that we spent so much time with each other. You know, having a dorm that was all about Wildcat Lodge and all about our players is that we saw each other every day. And I think my most, uh, when you're successful, you're doing something with people and you get to know each other. And then you see those people every day. Right. And that's probably something, I think that's common for a lot of guys coming out of high school, right? You're the best player on your team, the ball's in your hand all the time. And now you right. go to whatever university it happens to be. And you're not necessarily going to be the best player when you go from high school to college. In most cases, you're probably not. And you got to learn how to not be, I guess, the man uh, right out the gate, which, which is tough. Um, so from there, obviously, you make it to the NBA. And this is a question I've always wanted to ask you because in the NBA, you were successful. It's, it's not like you were a bad player. Everywhere you what? went, you, you, you played well. You, I just you had could, a bad you, you could score. Is, is, I was going to say, but you moved around way more than yeah. I thought because you would see these big games out of you, right? And, and yeah. I, would, I would watch you. Obviously, I paid attention to most of the Kentucky players that came out because I had that kind of connection from that camp right. and I was like he's playing well he's doing why 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 did you move around so you said contract you know, and, and and that's that's the thing you know as I asked myself the same thing because like I said it wasn't like I was a bad dude you know I was a great locker room guy it wasn't like I was hanging out going out drinking and smoking doing all those things I, I never did that anyway but my contract was easy to move and as I was talking about just being successful it's like I wanted to stay with certain organizations for more than one year, you know, and, and when I signed my six year deal with Phoenix, you know, I was like, man, after leaving, after playing in Charlotte, getting traded to Golden State, um, playing there two years, I played extremely well, but I didn't want to stay there. You know what I'm saying? Cause I, I, cause I didn't have a great relationship with PJ Carlissimo at the time. I was like, I don't care what y'all offer me. I'm not coming back. And PJ was, and I mean, this was, is an unbelievable guy <clears throat> off the court. It was just hard playing in the NBA for a coach that was kind of like a dictatorship, you know. Mm -hmm. And PJ, I would I would tell him that now. I think uh, when I left there and went to Sacramento, I really wanted to stay in Sacramento, but Sacramento didn't have the money, and but they did give me the opportunity because when I left Golden State, 
I didn't have any other offers, you know, and, and, and my agent at the time, he was like, hey, um, Boston Celtics want you to come play in the summer league. And this is when Coach Patino was the coach there. And, you know, that was an insult, to be honest with you. I'm like, man, listen, been in the league three. First of all, played for the man for four years. Right. Been in the NBA for three years. And you telling me that I have to go improve myself in the summer league? And I felt that was an insult. So at that time, I was like, I would, I'm not going. I'm not going to Boston. I'm good. I said, I, I'd rather wait it, wait it out and see what happens. So we ended up signing with Sacramento. Signed a uh, two-year deal. Uh, second year was a player option. And when I first got there, it was so funny. I remember um, Ty Corbin. You know, I was thinking, you know, Ty was probably at that time maybe 36, 37. And I was maybe the last guy, you know, that was that signed with the team. So it was 15-man roster. I'm looking at Ty Corbin. I'm, I'm thinking Ty Corbin is, is the assistant coach. But he was actually on the roster. I'm like, dude. <laughs> so, true story. Like, I was really literally the 15th man behind who I thought was a coach. coach. I thought, like, he was assistant coach. I'm like, man, I'm behind the assistant coach. So, I'm like, oh, man, like, this is going to be the, – this is the worst situation ever. But my professionalism kept me in shape and ready to play. And I remember, you know, as um, Coach Rick Adams was one of my favorite coaches, he's like, Tony said, just be ready. He said, your time is going to come. He said, just stay in shape. He said, I love your game. He said, I know what you can do. But right at that time, it was Jason Williams and um, uh, Dee Martin, Derek Martin. They right. both were in front of me and, 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 and John Barry. So they were all in the rotation. And i never forget there was like a game we were playing on the road in Houston. And I was just – I would always sit on the, on the floor. You know, I didn't want to sit on the bench. I'm just sitting on the floor. I wasn't playing. I'm like, I don't want to occupy – I don't want to occupy a seat if I'm not playing. So I just take the floor. And I don't have to worry about getting up. So I'm on the floor and we're down maybe 15, 20 points in the fourth quarter. And he was like, Tony, you know, going to game. And it's so far, I hadn't heard my name called to go in the game. It felt like in weeks. I'm like, man, I'm actually going to get out there and play. But went out there and balled. And next thing you know, the next game, he started playing me a few more minutes here and there. And then I got into the rotation and then I became, he would play me the second and fourth quarter of every game leading into the playoffs. So when we get to the playoff, we play against the Lakers. That's, so this is when the first-round series was only five games had to win. Right. Yeah. Uh, three out of five. Three five, yeah. So they beat it. They won the first two games in L.A., and I played well both second and fourth quarter. So I was kind of actually closing playoff game. Come back to Sacramento, played extremely well. We win both games in Sacramento. So that's that series finished, and I'm averaging double figures. So now a player option. So the Lakers really liked me, which I knew I was not a – I wasn't Hollywood yet. You know, I was like, <laughs> you know what? Hollywood, that Hollywood lifestyle, I'm not ready for that. It's, know, a, I, it's a lot of responsibility. You know, it's, it, 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 more, more responsibility is more distraction, to be honest. Right. You know, LA, it's, <laughs> True enough. It's not going on in L.A. I'm like, yeah. dude, I'm, I'm a small-town country dude. That's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. But I was hoping – But and Sacramento, but Sacramento had a system that suited Perfect. your game, though, too, right? When yeah. I tell you, like, it reminded me of Kentucky. And I probably could have stayed there for the next five or six years, to be honest with you. But um, Phoenix offered me two six years, you know. So it was like Charlotte, Golden State, Sacramento. And I knew if I got six years, it would be guaranteed. You know, there's nothing that – well, I got ch- traded along that those six years, my money was guaranteed. And I couldn't mess around with that just to go back and say, man, let me do another year here and see what was hap- what was going to happen. So I had to take the guarantee. So in my mind, I'm thinking, man, you know, I found a home. 
Sacramento, I love. I wish I could have stayed there because I like what they built over the next four or five seasons. So who came in and replaced, replaced me was Bobby Jackson. So as I'm watching Sacramento, I'm like, Bobby Jackson was replaced me. Playing your role, yeah. Playing my role. So playing my role. and um, But also, I really wanted to go play with Jason Kidd. At that time, I really loved Phoenix. You know, Phoenix was a place that I got a chance to go as a senior. They had the Desert Classic, which invited all the top seniors out there to compete. And when I went out there, I was like, I fell in love with Phoenix. And when that opportunity presented itself, I'm like, man, I'm going. And um, long story short, went had you know we actually played Sacramento in the first round that year, and we ended up losing to them. So I'm like, I'm even more pissed. Like, man, yeah. I just left here. But uh, what happened with our team was when Jason Kidd got traded to New Jersey for Stephon, and our whole dynamic changed. You know, we went from right. a playoff team to never out of the playoffs. So that kind of got me traded to Boston, which I it's funny. And going back to the story I was telling you earlier was I was like, I'm not going to Boston. There's no way I'm going to Boston. It's cold. Uh, the, the city, uh, you know, it was hard to maneuver and get around. And I get traded there from Phoenix. That, and that's a tough one because I, I, I tell everyone this story too. When I was in high school, we went to Scottsdale and played a tournament um, at Chaparral. Coach Westfault was the, had just gotten fired for Phoenix and he was coaching his son's high school team in Scottsdale at the time. And I fell in love with Scottsdale. So I fast forward to adulthood, my first chance, I got a job in Phoenix and I moved because I'm in Toronto. I'm dealing with the it's snow no, and all that no kind of stuff. Man. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, I hear you. It's no brainer. And, and, it's, and it's a place that I love now. And, you know, I know I've started my business here, but a place I would love to move back to, you know, two of the places I really enjoyed uh, living uh, was definitely Phoenix and uh, New Mexico. New Mexico was another, mm-hmm. another life-changing it was life changing at the time because I was going through some things, uh, personal things, but nothing personal like that was really bad, just relationship. And I kind of needed a place to go and kind of like find myself again. So it's funny that the two places I really enjoy were desert. You know, there's a, it, it, had, it gives you the desert life, you know, mm-hmm. but um, when you think about life and me moving around to all these different cities, man, it, it was, it was definitely, you know, a point of, you know, in my life, I'm like, man, you know, you feel like you're not wanted, but I still always gave a hundred percent. I gave my all. I'm like, man, I don't care where I go. I'm just, cause I love basketball. I'm so passionate about it that it didn't matter where I was traded. I'm like, you know, you're going to get the best version of me that you ever, that, that you ever going to get of, of any other player. Like, so I wish the organization had given me what I gave them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I never got that in return. Yeah. So after your NBA career kind of is coming to an end, you go back to my home country and you go to play for Panathinaikos. Well, I should be able to say that. I speak yeah, Greek. Like a, you're um, Greek, man. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I should be able to say that. And, and you have a lot of success. And so what was that like? Because I can imagine I moved, I moved from Toronto to Greece and I tried to live there and mm-hmm. I made it about a year and a bit before I, I, I came back. So right. how do you go from kind of living in, now I know you're moving around a little bit in the NBA, but these American cities to Greece. Cause that I speak the language was, and I found it hard. How did right. you find that? You know, it, it was, it was an adjustment. And, and what made the adjustment was, I think I'm, you know, when you're so Americanized and, you know, when you go from the NBA of, you know, flying on private planes, um, staying in the best hotels to now it's like, man, we got to, and, and practice, you know, practice was something that, that at, towards the end of my career, I was like, I know how to play basketball. So, you know, there wasn't, I didn't do all the all the practicing that they want to do overseas. It's like two a days. I'm like, dude, I don't want to do two a days. My legs are not equipped to be doing two a days right. to play 
15, 20 minutes in a game. I'm like, and, but that's just the, you know, that's how the international game is, especially some of the younger guys. I'm like, listen, but you know, they couldn't treat me any different than they would a 19, 20 year old kid. But I'm like, it should have been that way because my legs and what my knowledge of the game is totally different than an 18, 19 year old kid. Also respect what I've done. Not my, not to say I have to go over there because I played NBA and, you know, you have to, you know, kiss my ass or anything, but um, I know I can play basketball, you know, put me in position, put me on the court. I'm going to figure this game out. I've done it everywhere I've gone. So it's still basketball at the end of the day. But um, I think I got, you know, by the end of my stay there and also I left my family, um, you know, and, and it was, that was the, the most difficult thing was, you know, I had a young baby at the time oh, and okay. uh, I was just really missing. I had a five-year-old, then I had my, had a three-year-old and then we had a, you know, like a, I think like about an eight or nine month old child. So it was, That's tough, it was yeah. difficult leaving my daughters and going, pursuing, you know, not really pursuing my career, but just, you know, further my career. Uh, but, you know, when I left there, I knew I wasn't going back. You know, I was like, man, if this is how, you know, my career is going to end, I'm probably going to just stay in, in the United States. And I wish I could have stayed because I had three or four more years left in my, you know, in my playing career. Right. And I just kind of forfeited that, you know, just to come back. And also my mom, my mom passed during that, that year also. So when I, after we won the Greek championship, um, you know, I got a call and, you know, my niece called me and she was like, Hey, you, you know, your mom is really sick. And I was like, you know, how sick? She was like, you need to come back now. So I kind of like just packed up as much stuff as I could. And they just thought I left because I didn't get a chance to play in the, um, in the Greek league. We, we had already won the Euro league. Right, so right. the Greek league, was coming up and I was and I told him I said man I'm leaving they were like what do you mean you know you have you have this contract and you have I'm like dude my mom is my priority I don't care what happens here I'm out I'm not coming back so it kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth when I left there and I said well you know what if that's how my playing career is going to end it's going to end on my terms so I kind of like left there knowing that I could have played a few more years but you know my priority in my mind was you know was definitely with my mom right you know right. nothing would you know, if I had to redo it all over again, I would have definitely have come back. And, you know, I probably would take taken a few months off and then probably went back to playing. Yeah. So let's, let's, I guess, fast forward to now. So are, are you, are you paying attention to, to, to the league that, you know, all these guys in the bubble? And I watched that game last night that, uh, that New Jersey and, <laughs> and Portland game. Woo. When I tell you was, and that, that's that, and that last night was like the first, I would say the first night, like I've been, I've been watching games, but, you know, in and out of games, you know. Right. But when I tell you I came back last night because Dame has been killing it, you know what I'm saying, with the 51 and 61. And then I knew last night game they had to get in. You know what I'm saying? It was like I thought if they lost, they still would have a shot. But if they if Portland had a loss last night, they were they were going to be done. So it's like all that stuff that Dame had had done up until this point is like, man, it's, it's, it's it wasn't worth anything. Right. So, so watching that game, you know, and, and watching – I think I did a scout report on uh, Karis LeVert when he was at Michigan, and I really liked his game. You know, just his length, athleticism, and his ability to score was something that I paid a, I paid attention to then. You know, when I was I, I want to say when I came back and did some volunteer work for Atlanta Hawks, I went back and did something on Michigan, and I was like, man, this Karis LeVert kid can really get he really can get buckets. So that game last night was, I mean, if 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 it was. If if there was a mission, there was people who there were people in the stands. They would have got their money worth. But I guess the people that was watching, like myself and 
um, and all the other fans of you know, Portland and Brooklyn, you know, they got we all got a really good game last night. It's I, I found that there's been some really great games and performances, and I I, yeah. I almost wonder like w- when they talked about coming and playing in this bubble with no fans, with mm-hmm. all those months off. I think a lot of us expected kind of some sloppy play, a bit of lack of energy, but no. I haven't seen that at all. In fact, some of these guys have come back look better than ever. It's um, been phenomenal. Like I said, yeah. it's been it's been the game. To me, the game didn't lose anything. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought they game they what they did was. To me, they would have gained more fan base, you know, because now you're looking at it, it wasn't anything that was sloppy and nasty, you know what I'm saying? No, and, not at all. And, and what, you know what happens now is when you're a true fan, you get caught up in watching the game. And that's what I try to tell my young kids. I say, here's the perfect opportunity to watch basketball and not be distracted by what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because now you're not looking in the stands, you're seeing somebody, there's no halftime entertainment. You know, you don't have the mascot, you don't have the cheerleaders. So, if you are a true basketball fan, now you are watching the game. And you're watching the game between 94 feet. So that's what I try to relate to my kids. Where the game is there right now is that enjoy watching everything that's happening on the court. There's no distraction right now. Yeah. So what Adam Silver and, 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 and the players as well as you know, all these organizations is that they gave us something, an exciting product. They put an exciting product on the court that I really enjoy, you know, and like I said, I've been watching different games and all the games have been good, you know? So it's like taking the best 20 plus teams and eliminating, I hate to say some of the bad teams, but we did get some of the bad teams by the way. I didn't want to see them anyway. You know what I'm saying? So it left competitive basketball, which that's all you're looking for. When you're, when you're a, when you buy the NBA pass, you can't watch every game, but when you can put like quality games where you have, four or five teams fighting just to get into the playoff. Yeah. There's nothing more exciting than that. It's like the NCAA tournament. It was like, put like this, with games being played out there, it was like watching the NCAA tournament yeah. all over again. Oh, it's been great. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. So the playoffs are about to begin. The, the How much – I'm going to ask you this question first and then maybe get some predictions from you. Home court advantage isn't really a thing now. And in the no. NBA, more so than maybe some other sports, it, it is. Some teams do – play much better at home than on the road so now on this even playing field do you think we're going to see any kind of upsets or do you still think kind of the, the you know the lakers clippers bucks are those favorite teams still just going to make it through to the end just because they're you know the- i'll tell you i really you know and, and we have to see what, what portland is portland and uh they're scary here. i agree portland's yeah, scary because game, game is balling i, I really <laughs> think so i i think I think they present a problem to the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers – I mean, I can see the Lakers still winning the series. Don't get me wrong, because I think there's no matchup for LeBron. And, and when there's no matchup for LeBron, he is dominating. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter if there's Dame or there's CJ. It doesn't matter about those guys. Is that you almost have to have someone who could match up personally with him. Right. And at times that he's lost championship games, they've had somebody to, to, to match up with him. You know, you got to go back. I, I think the only series where there was – it was kind of tricky, and I think it was a first year was when they lost to – was when they lost to Dallas. And right. when they got swept by San Antonio, I mean, it, it was it was basically LeBron by himself. He had right. no yeah. – you know, I mean, first of all, they should have made it to the finals that year, but they did. But, yeah. you know, and they got swept out. But I think every other time he's lost, it's been somebody who could guard him and contain him right. and put pressure on him. So even when they beat San Antonio the one year when Ray Allen hit the 
hit the three in the corner. San Antonio should have won it that year. Like, right. they were up, what, 3-2. And if he don't make that shot, San Antonio wins that series. And I don't know what would have happened the year. The next year, I think Miami probably would have won it the next year because they would have been hungry. So when San Antonio lost that series to Miami, they wanted to get back because they know they should have won that series. So I knew if San Antonio get back to the finals against Miami, I knew San Antonio was going to win that series. Now, Golden State, let's fast forward to Golden State, is that when they brought in KD, that was also someone that was a problem for LeBron because right. now you've got to guard the second best player in the world, and he right. played your position, and he wasn't going to back down either. Yeah. But, but even, have- in the series, even in the series that LeBron won, you saw if there was kind of athletic, if they had length and gave him troubles, yes. right? He didn't perform as well. Now, obviously, right. the bar on LeBron is a little bit higher, but you it could see different. that. But you could still see the, the, those teams that have that player for sure would give, make it harder. Yeah, yeah sure. it, it definitely gives him a problem because even when they, you know, when I think when Toronto was like the number one team and, you know, and he was in the East and Cleveland, like I wasn't, it wasn't, it was they didn't scare me. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't like, Cleveland wasn't scared because it was like, okay, cool. You know what? Y'all don't have anybody that could guard me. And same thing when Atlanta was the number one team in the East and, you know, they didn't have anyone that could guard him at that position. So it's like, unless you can get someone to guard him at his position or put pressure on him, is that you're not going to beat LeBron. So even with Portland playing as well as they as they have played, having the big bodies to you know, guard Anthony Davis and uh, Dwight Howard, they have mobile bigs as well, right. but they still don't have anyone that can guard that man in his position. And he presents a problem and has presented a problem in his 17 years of play for any in any series because you can't guard him. All right, so now I put you on the spot. You got to make some – we'll make it easy. Any upsets you're thinking in the first round? I don't think there will be any upsets in the first okay. round. You know, I, you know, I tell you what, it depends on if there is a healthy Westbrook. And I don't know who Houston is going to play, but. Well, it's looking like it's going to be OKC. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the only one. So I did my predictions yesterday based on the assumption that Portland's getting in. So maybe it was a little premature. But I have OKC and, and Houston going seven. I just, I, I, there's something about OKC and Chris Paul. I think he right. still wants to prove he's an elite point guard. Yeah, I just especially, especially how they got rid of him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's like Westbrook to to Houston from OKC and uh, CP3 to OKC from Houston. It's like you know you do have something to prove. It's, it's like yeah. when I got traded the first time from uh, from Charlotte to Golden State. I couldn't wait to play. I couldn't wait to play Charlotte. You know, it right. it was personal. You know what I'm saying? It was like sure. monthly. Muggsy Bowles and I got traded, and I was like, for David West, I was like, okay, cool. I can't wait for y'all. Like, it's like when they say circle, circle that game on the schedule, like I circled that game. I'm like, well, they coming in town. I'm getting my rest. I'm getting up the next morning. Like, I'm going to give y'all the business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, no, I hear you. I, I, I actually picked – I think I'm going out on a limb, but I actually picked OKC to win, but only because when during that time when that trade happened, it was, okay, Chris Paul's going to OKC, but they're going to move him. Right, they don't even want him there. They're yeah. gonna move well, we him. All I, 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 yeah, start a rebuild. We we and, all thought that. Like like I, I think we all thought they were just gonna buy him out of his contract. He was gonna move on to a another contender, and I just didn't see him, you know, staying with them. But here's the thing too: is that you can't really teach experience. And the one thing Chris CP3 has is is experience, and also you know he's a dog. I mean that dude wants to win. You know when you have a player like that. Um, now just surrounding him with the right guys and, and also him being a good locker room guy and he, he can bring some guys along because you still got to have a leader 
as they say in your clubhouse. You yep, have to have yep. a leader in the locker room, and that's something that he's always been. And 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 even as you know, I'm bringing my academy along. I'm really trying to find a secure point guard for my my for all my teams. You know, and I need those guys to be vocal, but also you got to lead by example. You got to be the hardest working guy. You got to come early. You got to you got to stay a little bit late. You got to ask questions. You got to be vocal. There's so many so many responsibility. And Chris Paul is a perfect guy for all the responsibility. Finals pick? Have you made it that far yet? Yeah, I, I still think uh, Milwaukee's going to come out out the East. You get a lot of booze for my people here in Toronto. I, I know, man. <laughs> but, but no, I do respect Toronto. Toronto is a problem, and they're a problem because of their, you know, their toughness. They play defense. They know who they are. You know, you don't have – you don't have a bunch of role players in this bubble or let's say even in the regular season trying to find out who they are. This team knows exactly who they are with or without Kawhi. Right. It's still a competitive team. Um, and I, I see Milwaukee and Toronto in the finals. I think Milwaukee edge them out, the right. Lakers and the Clippers. And I, I think I'm going to pick the Clippers. The Cl- I'm pick the Clippers. I think you and I might be the only two who are picking the Clippers. I think the Clippers, if they can figure out, I feel like there's there's a lack of chemistry sometimes with them. But I think if, if they can figure it out, they're probably the best, deepest team defensively and offensively, right? But sometimes you can add too many pieces, and I think I yeah. think they added too many pieces to a puzzle, and that's where I, you know, Doc Doc Rivers got to figure out, man. Like, so I I thought these eight games should have been by the seventh eighth game. He should have had a rotation down. But when when Limmer Pepper Lou, of course, left the bubble and he came right. back, you know, that throws the rotation off. Yeah. Montrez Harrell hasn't been in the rotation. So all the guys have been getting their minutes. Right. So now those guys are, guess what? They're expecting to play. So right. now from a from a roster being eight guys, now you got 10, 11 players, you know, three other guys that, hey, you know, we we we've been here. We've done everything right. You know, we we have we didn't leave the bubble. So why are you going to penalize us? And I think I think his job is probably the toughest job of any coach because of that uh, of those guys who were playing before Lou came back and Montrez came back. Those guys are expecting to be in the rotation. So now, how are you going to tell those guys that, hey, you know what, guys, these are my main guys? Which we all know when you have a one-two punch like like Lou and Montrez off the bench. Listen, man, these dudes, we know what they can do. Some of you guys have been starters. Like, like to me, like a Reggie Jackson is someone who is still trying to fit him in, but it's like, okay, he's taking some minutes from, away from Lou. You bring Morris over, he's taking some minutes away from Montrez, and Joakim Noah's not probably going to be in the rotation. You know, he's going to be right. comfortable. He's going comfort, to have a comfortable seat on the bench. But yeah. the other guys, they're expecting to play. Yeah. So let's, let's end it on this. So you mentioned your basketball academy. I know that you're doing some work with some wine. Um, yes. t- t- tell me about what you're doing now. Well, we have a wine called, um, it's Lorenzo Reserve, and you can buy it wildsidewinery.com. You know, you can go and check out. I have a cabinet's age one year in Bladen Bourbon Barrel, which bourbon is so huge in Kentucky. Uh, I have a Riesling, and I have a, a Chardonnay. So something we started about two and a half, three years ago, my lady Nicole and I, and we're giving 15% of our profits back to a Kentucky Children's Hospital. So it's, oh, it's more good cause. And if you're your listeners and yourself, if you like wine, uh, I don't know if you like Riesling, Chardonnay, whatever, 
I'm sure, I'll find, I'm sure we'll find something. <laughs> I'll find something, man. But just know, wildsidewinery.com is called Lorenzo Reserve. And you can go there and just know when you buy our wine, 15% of our profits are going back to Kentucky Children's Hospital. So I'm, I'm, more, I'm excited about really adding on and building that brand even more because I have to take, take a few trips back to Kentucky, meet with the, um, meet with the winery, winery owners and kind of discuss our, our business plan going forward. And also my Tony Duck Basketball Academy. You can go to TonyDuck.com and kind of see what my teams are doing, my my academy is more about teaching and developing kids, but also bringing them in to a, a, a great organization, a, an organization that's going to be well coached. And you're probably going to see me there every other day. It's like, this is my life. This is what I love. And I'm you know what? I'm following you guys on Instagram. So I see, I see all the stuff you're doing. I do always see you there in the gym working with the guys. So it's, it's, yeah, it's I'll, I'll probably spend too much time, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I gotta get out there. I have to get out of the gym before, before I lose my relationship, you know? So, right. uh, but you know, well, you know this before we leave. You build a business, you have to be there, and you have to be visible, and people are seeing me. And I know it's been a, a tough year for us dealing with this pandemic, but, um, you know, I want to thank all my parents and kids that, uh, that stayed with me. All right. Tony, definitely appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for the nickname. Um, <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Yeah. This week, we're previewing the NFC East, and I've got a kind of topsy-turvy, changed my mind about 100 times between the top two teams and the bottom two teams a few times here in the East. So let's start and work our way from the bottom up this time. So after much debate and analysis, I'm having the New York Giants as the bottom of this team, the bottom of this division. And it's nothing against Daniel Jones or or the G-Men, really. It's just I don't like anything that they've actually done. Daniel Jones is a good quarterback, but I don't think he's great. My biggest concern is I don't, I'm not a big fan of Joe Judge. I don't think he can turn around this franchise, mentor a young quarterback, and find ways to win with a pretty suspect roster. I also hated their draft, and maybe just for one particular pick that they didn't make. I thought they should have gone all in on Isaiah Simmons, but they didn't. They passed him up, and he ended up falling all the way to eight in the Arizona Cardinals. You know how I felt about that pick for them. So I have them finishing at 4-12, and 12, just below the number three team, the Washington football team. Washington has a new coach in Ron Riviera. They've got a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, much like the Giants. New coach, young quarterback, and kind of some question marks everywhere else. Now, I will say this. They did take my guy, Chase Young, who I, and you, you remember from the draft, I told you, Chase Young needs to go number one. He did not. Washington took advantage of that. And they're going to have a stud on defense. Unfortunately, it's not enough to get them over the hump. Although I still have them going 6-10 and 10 with a couple of lucky breaks. Who knows? Maybe 7-9. and nine. To the top tier of this division. And it always seems to flip-flop who wins the division. But I think we're going to have the same winner two years in a row. So obviously, who's in second? the Dallas Cowboys. 
Now, Dallas has done some things that I really like. They've brought in C.D. Lamb, which I think is going to be a great compliment for Amari Cooper and Gallup. They did something that most people maybe not even realize yet, but they also brought in, if healthy, someone who could really escalate their kicking game in Greg Zerline. So they've got a solid offense, got some question marks on defense. They're still going to be good, but obviously they just ended up cutting uh, McCoy. So that hurts their their, their pass rush a little bit, but they're still going to be right up there as a 9-17. and 17. I will say this, and maybe it's the Bears fan in me, I really don't like Mike McCarthy as the coach for that team. Now, Jerry Jones isn't the type to make a mid-season decision, but if it was me and I saw this team that is talented on offense with Dak and Zeke and that those wide receivers that I just mentioned, I would be very disappointed at the slow start that they're going to have, and I'd get rid of McCarthy and bring in someone else. That's not Jerry Jones's way. He's going to last the season. They're going to be 9-7. and seven. They'll be in the wild card, and they'll probably lose in that game. Sorry, Cowboys fans. It's another year of disappointment. To the Eagles. Obviously, they're the only team left in the division, and they're still my pick. I did the way too early predictions, and I'm sticking with that. And the Philadelphia Eagles finishing at 10-6. and six, Get a lucky break, maybe 11-5. and five. But I got them 10-6. and six. This is a tough division. They always play really tight. But they've also done some things that I really like. Bringing in Godwin. And I know Jalen wasn't the wide receiver that the Philadelphia fans wanted them to draft. But he's the one that they drafted. And I think he fits well in with a healthy hopefully, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. They're going to have a good receiving core. And this is Wentz's year. He seems to always get hurt. And I should say, this is, all these picks are based on limited injuries. Obviously, if something happens to Dak or to Zeke uh, for the two teams, this could drop them or raise them depending on, on those injuries. I'm saying that this year will be Carson Wentz's breakout year and only for the simple fact that I think this is the year where he stays healthy for the entire season. And that's what propels the Eagles to first place in the NFC East. So that's a lot of information there. Tell me what you think. As always, send me your thoughts. Anthony K at sportsfluent.com. This week's episode of the Sports Fluent Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for players' props. They've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in each respective sport. Use promo code WTN when you sign up and you will receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. You can download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store by or by visiting their website at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up today and prop up. Every week we're previewing a different WNBA team. This week, we're looking at the Las Vegas Aces. They're all in on the 2020 season. But let's recap last season quickly. 
They were 21 and 13, finishing second in the West and losing in the semifinals to Washington. Their 33rd pick in this year's draft was waived, so there wasn't any new rookie players coming in that way. Also, last year they had a big signing when they signed Cabbage, who was an immediate impact on the team. However, she has decided to opt out of the 2020 season. Also, front court mate Plum tore her Achilles, and she'll be out for the entire season. Can the Aces come back from those two big blows to their team? Well, there's one way that they can, and that's if they start taking a lot more three-pointers. Why do I say that? They were one of the top three-point shooting teams last season. The problem is, they only made about five and a half per game, which was the fewest in the entire league. In today's basketball, be it NBA, WNBA, or other, three-point shooting is a huge factor in games, and the Aces will need to shoot a much higher percent, sorry, a much higher number, higher quantity of three-point shots if they're going to go deep this season into the playoffs, like I think they will. This is a team that is built around some really good three-point shooters and players who can drive, penetrate, and kick it out for some open looks. So look for the Aces to shoot a bunch of three-pointers this year and make a real, make some real noise in the standings. But don't take my word for it. Here's what the Las Vegas Aces had to say about their team via Spain and Company on ESPN Radio. Off in 30 seconds, I would just have to go off what she said, just the swagger. Uh, I feel like we have a swagger and the energy that just gravitates to a lot of different people. Um, our personalities off the court is something that you can really get attached to because we're all so different. And on the court, I mean, our game speaks for itself. It's electric, it's fun. Uh, we're a young team that gets going. And that's it. That's how I can tell you. Now for the fix. No, this isn't Deja Vu. No, that's a channel, isn't it? This isn't Deja Vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would once said. This is another episode of The Fix where we're talking about the CFL. I know, I know, you'd rather talk NFL, but we did that already. Why am I bringing up the CFL? Well, it's because their 2020 season is now officially off. And really... The CFL is very unique in the sense that it's a different game of football. Three downs, bigger field, and for whatever reason, it hasn't really caught on outside of a few pockets in Western Canada. So that's great for Western Canada, and I love those guys. However, it's not a viable revenue-driving league. So what are they going to do? Do they continue to suffer through bad deals, work stoppages, relying on, and this is why they stopped this year, relying on fans in the stands, which isn't, in today's sports world, a way to make your league thrive. It's not a way to be successful. You need to create TV deals like all the other leagues. You need to create other streams of revenue so that you can keep your league going and you can keep your payer, your players paid so that you get at least, look, you're not going to get the top tier talent because they're going to the NFL, but at least you can keep a good piece of players to keep a good product on the field. The better the product on the field, the more people that will watch. 
So there's really two things that the CFL can do here. One, and this one's way outside of the box, it's give Danny Garcia a call, the new owner of the XFL, and talk about some type of merger, acquisition, something to bring the two leagues together. Perhaps a North American league, be it called the XFL, the CFL, or something new, where they can have teams both in U.S. and Canada. Now, obviously, the CFL would probably have to shrink the size of their field and go to four downs, but maybe that's the answer to bringing more fans and revenue to the league. Now, the traditionalists will say, that's crazy. The CFL is a unique game, and it's for Canada by Canadians. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but as far as a business goes, that's just not working. For the teams in the West, the Edmontons, Saskatchewans, Winnipeg, BC, etc., Calgary, maybe there's another smaller Western football league, perhaps, that would make sense for them. But obviously, the CFL hasn't worked in Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, etc. Maybe it's because they have two teams, I know this is not the case anymore, that have the same name. I don't know. Maybe it's because there was a team, I believe it was Montreal, that drafted a player who was dead. I don't know. For sure, it's the fact that they don't make enough revenue because they're solely reliant on the fans, again, coming to the stadium. So that's option one. Call up Danny, make her an offer she can't refuse, or let her make you an offer that she can't refuse. Combine the leagues and come up with something that can truly, can truly go up against the NFL, both for players, entertainment value, and just as a league in general and your TV dollars. Option two. Now, option two, you really just got to go back six or eight months to when I did my last fix on the CFL. Or go back a few years, I want to say two, to when I emailed in an open letter to the CFL CFO, where I broke down ways for the CFL to create a game within the game that made it fun, entertaining for fans, and was a revenue generator. You can hear more on that exclusively on our website, sportsfluent.com, Well, I will post that open letter that I wrote to the CFL to the CFL CFO. However, here's the gist. It had a lot to do with in-game betting. Obviously, why do most people watch football? One, it's the diehard fans who love football. Two, and I think this is the bigger portion of it, is the people who watch it from the outside, kind of fringe fans, I would call them, but they know their stuff when it comes to fantasy, when it comes to prop bets, etc. Those are the ones that the CFL is missing out on. So I'll post that letter, as I said, it's sportsfluent.com. But let me know what you think about this week's episode of The Fix. Anthony K at sportsfluent.com. That's it for this week's episode of Sports Fluent. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at sports underscore fluent or YouTube and TikTok at SportsFluent. Or, of course, you can visit the website and get the links to all of our episodes and all of our social media at SportsFluent.com. Are you fluent?